Hello, church. Man, it is good to be in God's house. If today you're worshiping with us for the very first time, hey, my name is Matt. I get to be one of the pastors here, and we are so grateful that you're here. We say hello to everybody who is watching online, worshiping with us through this awesome technology. And can you show some love to our production team for the amazing work they do? Bright and early today, uh, man, uh, there's a lot happening at our church. It's been a crazy weekend around Venice Church, and maybe any, any ladies in the room go to Women's Weekend this weekend? All right. I dig it. That's awesome. Uh, we had Women's Weekend out at Victory Mountain Camp, just a special couple of days where um, much love to Aggie Ingold and her team and all those that put that event together. It is a phenomenal thing. And even this morning, hearing the stories of how God met with the ladies of our church out at Victory Mountain. And then last night, uh, while the ladies were having fun at Victory Mountain, um, our guys, our men's group had a little get-together down at Round Mountain Farm in Montgomery County, Casey and Rebecca Harris's farm. And we ate meat and had a fire. So it was a good time for us fellas. Uh, ain't nothing better than eating some meat and staring at a fire. Come on, men, let's go. That's where you meet Jesus. That's, that's, that's the reason why God used a burning bush to talk to Moses, because a man is captivated by a bonfire. Let's go. Uh, what am I talking about right now? Uh, there's, but there's something else super cool coming up. This is one of the coolest um, most awesome times in the life of our church, because right now, as we're moving towards Thanksgiving, our Thanksgiving initiative, to me, is one of my most favorite events that we do all year long. And if you have never been with Vintage through a Thanksgiving season, you're in for a special treat. And what we do, and we've been doing this since the inception of our church, and now it's grown. We, on the Tuesday before Thanksgiving, we hope to send 100 teams from this campus into homes all across our community that, unless we intervene, they won't have Thanksgiving dinner. Because I don't know if y'all noticed, you should see my grocery bill. We're gonna, I think the Lord's calling us to fast. Because it's crazy right now. It is crazy. And it's so uh, we're going to be providing Thanksgiving meal from hundred, for hundreds of families all across our community. Number one, we get asked all the time, how, how do you find these families? And, and one of the things we've learned over the years, there's a difference between people in need and needy people. That's a whole nother sermon. But we're looking for people to, that are in need. And we think there's nobody knows that better than social workers and guidance counselors that work with our public schools. Can you show some love to the educators that work in our public schools for the way they serve? And they work really hard. The good thing is they make a whole lot of money. <laughs> My wife's a teacher. Come on. Uh, so on that, we work with them just to say, hey, you, you know these families better than we do. And y'all, one of the things we're discovering as we talk to social workers and guidance counselors this year is their caseload is as heavy as it's ever been. And so uh, we work with them and they send us names of family. They work out to get us permission to go to their homes. And so on that Tuesday night, we're just going to take the, take the whole, it's the full Thanksgiving meal. They get the dignity of preparing it in their home, gathering that table. But this is all I want to tell you. Please come help us deliver. And if you help us deliver, I want you to know this. There's going to be some places that you go and they're not going to let you inside. They're going to shout at you from the door and say, would you please just put it on the porch and go away? And that's fine. But there are going to be some people that will open their door and let you into their home. Honor that. Treat people with dignity and respect. And you look for the opportunity to do more than give them a turkey. You look for the chance to give them some Jesus. Because the, and there will be people that will let you do that. And look at me. This is not to get people to come to our church. If you want to invite them to church, that's fine. But we don't do this to get people to come to our church. That would be a really selfish reason to help people in need. If the, any and everybody is welcome at our church, but we, we, this is not a bait and switch thing for us, okay? 
But if you get a chance to pray with a grandma who's got all six of her grandkids in her house because mom or dad has been addicted to some type of substance and now maybe they're in prison, you pray for grandma, you pray for mom and dad, you pray for those children. Because if we get a chance to put some food in their belly, that's awesome. But if we get a chance to put some Jesus in their heart, let's do that. So I want to do, we're going to, every week between now and then, we're going to take out time to specifically pray for that night. So would you bow your heads and pray with me once more, and let's ask God to be with us as we deliver again this year. Father, in a few weeks, you know what we're going to do. You already see it. You know all things. You know the future. You know everything that's going to happen. And God, I pray that you would prepare us for those moments. God, I pray for the people that are debating whether or not they have time to help deliver, that, God, you would put it on the hearts of the people that need to be a part of this. And God, I pray that as we step into people's homes and own people's properties, that we would go with grace and love and offering truth and that, God, you would break down barriers and you would open doors and that you would give us an opportunity to see somebody come to know you, that salvation would happen on this night, that people would feel loved and known and noticed. And so, God, go before us and we're going to celebrate in advance what you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said... Amen. 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 Yeah, give God some praise just for what he's going to do. So we concluded live love last week, but we were not supposed to. Live love was supposed to carry us all the way to Christmas. But as we made our way through this series over the last few weeks, and if you haven't joined us, go back, watch it online. We do a series every year called Live Love where we revisit the why of our church. But I felt like God had led us to say all that we really need to say on that subject and, and was drawing me back to this book in our Bibles known as the letter to the church at Philippi. We did this book in our men's group this year. And so we, we walked through the entire book for months. So guys in the room, this is going to be a little bit of a refresher course. But I had a professor in college said we need to listen or read to something at least eight times before we understand it. So you own number two. You got six more to go. Uh, and honestly, just I just felt drawn to walk us through this book. And, and, and over the next few weeks, this is going to feel much more like a, like a, a big group Bible study than necessarily me just, just preaching. And not that those two things aren't always the, the same thing, but we're just going to systematically walk through this book and, and see what God does. And today, uh, first gathering, I got through about half of what I have in my notes. So we're going to see what happens. Uh, but this is a powerful letter. This letter to the church at Philippi. It's written by a guy named Paul. We were introduced to Paul in our Live Love series in the book of Acts. We first see him in Acts chapter 8 when Stephen, this man who was picked by the apostles to help care for the widows, is standing before a group of people and he's sharing his faith in a way that's, that's pretty, pretty hot. He's saying things that need to be said and he's pointing people to Jesus and he's calling people out for their unwillingness to see him for who he is. And he says so much and he pushes too many buttons. So much so that there comes a point when they get so frustrated, they drag Stephen out beyond the gates of the city and they beat him to death with rocks. And it's in that moment that we're introduced to a guy named Paul. And in that moment, he is determined to do everything he can to stop this thing called the church. But now decades have gone by and he meets this Jesus that he's trying to persecute while he's walking on a road to a city called Damascus. And in that moment when Jesus shows up and, and changes his life, it literally changes his life. 
And he becomes a church planter. He becomes a champion of the gospel. And now, a few decades from that moment when he met Jesus, he's been so passionate about telling other people about Jesus that he finds himself in prison. And in prison, you got some time on your hands. And instead of working out in the yard or whatever they did back then, he decides to write some letters. And he actually writes four, Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon. This is those moments where I I wish I had a window into what it looked like. Paul sitting in a jail cell in chains. And I don't know, maybe he... Maybe he has a scribe. Maybe he's writing this stuff together, and I'm probably walking out of a camera shot that I shouldn't, but I just imagine him kind of sitting in this prison cell. Every time the door opens, y'all, every time he hears the creak of the door open, he doesn't know, is this it? Is this it? This is the day that they cut my head off. Because that's, that was the plan. They, they wanted to kill him. They were, they were so frustrated by all that he had done. They were determined to stomp him out. That, that, so every single time he hears the footsteps of another imperial guard walking down the halls of this cell, in his mind is he wondering, this is it. This is the day they carry me out and they cut off my head. And so he, he decides to share his thoughts and dump his mind and his heart on the paper, and send it to these people, people that he had met along the way, people that had come to faith through his testimony, people he had sat with and shared Jesus with, and now, just in case I don't get an opportunity to get to them, I want to make sure that I say things on paper that I might never get to say in person. And that's the letter at Philippi. So let's dive in. Go to Philippians Chapter one, in verse one and two, he kind of lets them know, this is Paul, and this is my buddy Timothy, and, and we're writing to you. And then he says this in Philippians chapter one, verse three. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And now I can't even get past those first few verses and not notice how different the man who's writing this book in prison is from the man we meet in Acts chapter 8. Pull it back up. Look back at it. Look, I give thanks. Here's a man in chains with gratitude. (laughs) He says, I give thanks to God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy. Here's a man in prison, not knowing if he's going to live or die, but there's something about the memories he has with the church at Philippi that fill him with gratitude and joy. Gratitude and joy are the last two things that we see present in in Paul's life when we meet him. Look at Acts chapter 8, verse 3. And y'all, we're going to be going back and forth between Philippians and Acts. So take your nice little cute ribbon in your Bible and make you a marker. This is when we first meet Paul. We know him as Saul in this moment. And look what it says. It's Acts 8, 3. Saul, however, was ravaging the church. 
He would enter house after house and drag off men and women and put them in prison. So when we meet Paul, he is a man full of anger, hatred, and rage. He's walking into towns, kicking down doors, grabbing men, grabbing women, grabbing children, and saying, do you believe in Jesus? And if they say yes, he is drag, literally dragging them out to potentially face death. The next thing it says about Paul in Acts is Acts chapter 9, the first part of verse 1. It says, now, Paul, now Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. When we meet this man, he is a man full of rage, a man full of anger, a man kicking down doors, a man dragging out believers to have them killed for their faith. He is breathing out threats and murder. Now, decades later, he's in prison. He says, I am so grateful for the church I once tried to destroy. I am filled with such joy when I pray for you because of the experiences we shared. Some people might ask, how can this be the same man? And I would submit to you, it's not. It ain't the same man. He is different because this is Paul after Jesus. And who Paul is after Jesus is so different than who Paul was before Jesus. I remember the map before Jesus. Do you remember the you before Jesus? I hope that he or she is a lot different than he or she is now on the other side of Jesus. Because if he or she isn't different on this side of meeting Jesus, then I got to wonder, did you meet Jesus? Because when you meet Jesus, he changes you drastically. Testify somebody in the room. Come on. He changes you drastically. Only Jesus can turn a man full of hatred and rage into a man full of gratitude and grace. That's what he does. He changes us. But he, he, didn't, he doesn't just change. Look at me. He doesn't just change our character. He alters our nature. Come on, somebody. Look at me. Christianity is not a behavior modification plan. You want to just change your behavior? Go to Barnes & Noble. There's a whole section. It'll last about a month. Jesus doesn't just change your behavior. He changes you. He transforms your heart. He renews your mind. And the byproduct of that is a different character, a different behavior, a different worldview, a different way of living. And some of us, we're trying to change our character without letting God come in and through the power of his spirit, alter our nature. See, Paul's not just different. He's different. I know that's profound, but y'all know what I'm saying. He's not just different. He's, he's not, not just doing different things. He's a different creation. And this creation is a man now set on fire for Jesus. And he is perhaps, he believes in his last days. And he's looking back on a church that, he is very fond of and longing to see. And he says, go back to verse six. He says, I'm sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He says, I'm really confident that what was started among you will keep going. And this, I'm a, I'm a Bible nerd, okay? 
This is what's cool about the church at Philippi. We get to see how it started. When he says, I'm sure that what was begun in you will be carried on to completion. The cool thing about Philippians, the cool thing about the church at Philippi, unlike a lot of the other churches that Paul addresses in the New Testament, is in Acts chapter 16, we get to watch it be born. So go with me. Go to, go to Acts chapter 16. Flip back over into your Bibles. Like, Matt, I thought this was a study in Philippians. It is. And that's why you got to know the whole Bible because it's connected to each other, okay? Because see, unlike, unlike so many other places, we get to see Paul's missionary journeys all the way throughout the New Testament church and all the way throughout the book of Acts. But in Acts 16, we get to see what is probably the, the three initial people that are part of the church at Philippi. And it is three people that could not be more different from one another. The first one is a lady named Lydia. Look at it. Acts chapter 16, start with verse 11. It says, from Troas, we were put out to sea and sailed straight from Samothrace the next day to Neapolis. And from there to Philippi, a Roman colony and a leading city of the district of Macedonia, we stayed in that city for several days. Notice it says, we stayed. Again, this is going to be more like Bible study. You'll notice, a, look at me, you'll notice a shift in the book of Acts where the writer, his name is Luke, is writing about things and talking about other people to a shift where he says, we. That's because Luke, this, this Greek physician who wrote the gospel of Luke and wrote all of the things we know in the book of Acts was a guy that accompanied Paul in many of his missionary journeys. Y'all with me say Amen. So we, Luke, the writer, is with them. He's watching these things happen with his own eyes. This is a firsthand account of this church being born. He says, we stayed in the city for several days. Verse 13, on the Sabbath day, we went outside the city gate by the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to the woman gathered there, a God-fearing woman named Lydia. She was a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, and she was listening. The Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying, and after she and her household were baptized, she urged us, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come stay at my house, and she persuaded us. So when Paul, look at me, when Paul in, in Philippians 3 is saying, when I think of you, Lydia is the, is the you that he's talking about at least one of them, that when he goes into this city, this, this metropolitan city, this, this hub of commerce and finance and, and this really important city, this, this urban place where a lot of things are happening, and he goes down by the river and he finds this women's prayer meeting happening. And there's this lady named Lydia, one of the very few people in all of scripture in the New Testament that we actually know her name. And for us to know her name must mean the role that she played in this church was super significant. And it says she was a dealer in purple cloth. Listen, purple was the most difficult color of any garment to produce. So purple was the most expensive. So if you wanted a nice purple sweater or purple skinny jeans, I don't know. Like if you wanted purple something, it was going to be expensive. So Lydia was, was not just a dealer in, in garments, purple garments. And she was wealthy. Just the very fact that she was dealing in purple would indicate that. But then the fact that she has a house big enough to not only her to be able to stay in and her family, there's enough room 
for Paul and his associates to be able to stay with her. Y'all, this wasn't, most people in this day, you barely had a house, a home, a dwelling big enough for you and your family. You didn't have bonus rooms and entertainment spaces and charcuterie boards out in the living room. And all a charcuterie board is, is an adult Lunchable. Y'all need to get over that crack like it's a big deal. <laughs> she was wealthy. And she's the first one to come to faith. Because despite all her wealth, she knew there was something missing. She, at, given just what little bit we know about her, she, she was wealthy, she was successful, she was known, she had influence apparently, but she knew there was a God. But there was things about that God that didn't quite make sense. There's some gaps that needed to be filled in. And Paul closed those gaps and she finds Jesus and they go back to her house. And I just imagine how that went. She walks in the door, maybe her husband and her family see her coming like, who's with Lydia? Who, who's who is that? And they walk in this house, and Lydia says, guys, this is a guy named Paul, and he just told me something that I need y'all to hear as well. And they all believe, and they all get baptized. And that's the start of the church at Philippi. And the next person that was most likely a part of this church could not have been more different than Lydia. See, Paul and Silas and, and Luke and their, their contingent would walk around the city and they would go to different spaces and they would find opportunities to share faith. Well, as they're walking around, there's this girl that starts to follow them around. Look at verse 16, Acts 16, verse 16. It says, once we were on our way to prayer and a slave girl met us who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She made a large profit for her owners by fortune telling as she followed Paul and us, she cried out, these men who are proclaiming to you a way of salvation are the servants of the most high God. She did this for many days, and Paul was greatly annoyed. Turning to the spirit, he said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and it came out right away. I think these stories are just cool. Can you imagine there's this girl, this young slave girl. We don't know how she, old, she is. This is a young girl. Maybe she's a teenager. And her whole life, she's been somebody else's property. She's been used and abused and taken advantage of because she has this spirit on her that people thought they could profit from. And next thing you know, she gets behind Paul and his contingent. And they were like, hey, these people, they're, they're, they're telling the way to salvation to one true God. They're telling the way to salvation to one true God. And apparently she was doing it in such a way, Paul says, demon out. And that's exactly what happens, and she gets delivered. But now, with this spirit gone, her ability to make money from the men that have been taking advantage of her her whole life was stripped away. And number one, now she, she's, no, she's of no good to him. So now they're not going to take care of her anymore. They're not going to feed her. They're going to toss her away like a piece of trash. I ain't always wonder... Now, I don't, this is where, like, did Paul take her when they threw her out and said, I'm going to take you to this lady named Lydia's house. I think she'll let you stay there. And did Lydia, for the first time, give this young girl a hug and a place to live? Did Lydia disciple her and invest in her and give her hope and love 
Because see, Lydia, Lydia, Lydia was this woman of means and, and, and success. And now here's this girl who her whole life has just drastically changed. And as awesome as that is, she had to think, okay, now, now what am I going to do? These men, as long as I could give them something, as long as I could profit them, they would put food on my table and put a roof over my head. But now I'm no good. And they tossed me aside. And maybe I'm sure that Paul, knowing everything I know about Paul and everything I know about the church, they said, we will not throw you away. We'll give you a place to be to and belong. But these men, you take a money out of a man's pocket, they're going to get mad. And so they make up a big ruckus for Paul and his friends. And they go to the right people and get them accused of a crime and get them locked up and thrown in jail. But just as when Paul's sitting in the prison pinning the letter to Philippi, Paul has always used prison as a platform to keep making Jesus known. Look at Acts 16, drop down to verse 25. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were playing and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Just let that soak in for a minute. They're locked up, and they're singing. They don't have lights. They don't have cushiony chairs. They don't have an amazing singers. They're just singing and praising to God, and all the prisoners are like, these people crazy. They're locked up in here. Their freedom has been taken from them. You, they took their freedom, and how did they respond? Worship. Verse 26, suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the jail were shaken. Immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains came loose. Verse 27, when the jailer woke up and saw the doors of the prison standing open, he drew his sword and was going to kill himself since he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul called out in a loud voice, don't harm yourself. Because we are all still here. The jailer called for the lights, rushed in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. He escorted them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And now our friend, I like to call him Jailer Joe, becomes the next member of the church at Philippi. They're locked up. They're praising God. They're singing. They're giving God glory. The ground begins to shake all of a sudden, and their chains fall off, and the doors fling open. And now I'm thinking, what is wrong with y'all that you don't immediately bolt out the door? And here's this this average blue-collar guard who sees and hears all these things happening, and he knows if all these prisoners are gone, they will pin it on me. They're probably going to kill me anyway. And I wonder what happened. Was Paul standing close enough to see, or did Paul hear the sound of the sword sliding through the sheath and turned around to notice this man with this sword? Maybe is the point of it already at his throat, and he's about to take his own life. And maybe it's the very same man that put Paul in shackles. And he has a choice. Hold a grudge or give him Jesus. Hold a grudge or give him Jesus. And then he calls for the lights to come on. And remember, y'all, they didn't have LEDs in this jail. They didn't hit a switch and this thing come on. This would have been like oil lanterns probably scattered throughout the prison. It would take several minutes to light it up. 
And as those lights begin to come on, this man looks and sees, and here's this man, Paul, and he says, I'm still here. Don't kill yourself. Don't take your own life. And this man is so moved by what he has just witnessed. He says, I want what you got. I want what you have. What must I do to be saved? And the Bible says that he and his entire household come to know Jesus and they are all baptized. And I just wonder, a week later, did they all gather at Lydia's house? Because hers was probably the only one big enough. Jailer Joe, demon girl, and Lydia. Just hanging out, worshiping God. That before this moment, they didn't, they didn't know each other. They would have never crossed paths. They would have never sought to even spend a moment together. But now, as different as they are, they all got Jesus. And that's what binds them together. So when Paul writes in Philippians chapter three, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, Lydia. I remember the day like it was yesterday that I sat down by that river and we talked about Jesus and you gave your heart to him. I watched the smile on your face as you went under the waters of baptism. I saw how gracious you were when you opened up your home to me and my friends or maybe when you discipled the young girl who lost the demon and needed a place to stay or how you will. I remember Jailer Joe, I remember the night you were gonna take your life but you didn't and you found Jesus and how your whole family is now headed to heaven because somebody put me in chains. I remember you, I remember you, and I'm full of joy. And now here I am, all right, sitting in prison, but verse 12 of Philippians chapter one. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel because nothing can stop it. So much so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard. And to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. And most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. To be sure, some preach out of envy or rivalry, but others out of goodwill. Verse 18, but what does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. And yes, I will continue to rejoice because I know that this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Verse 20, my eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything but that now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That there is nothing that life can give me and there's nothing that life could take from me that is greater than what I have in Christ. I remember you, church. And this is where I struggle. What do we do with all this? Number one, I'm I'm just reminded that no matter your background, you got a place in the body. And maybe you've walked into this church several times now and you look around and you think, I don't don't think I fit in. (laughs) 
You don't think Jailer Joe looked across at Lydia and thought, what am I doing here? That the body of Christ is a beautiful, eclectic puzzle that God has been assembling for years and you belong here no matter what your background is. And if we don't have anything else in common, we got the cross and blood of Jesus Christ and it's enough. I'm also reminded of how people can change. How people can change. How God took a rage-filled, hateful man determined to kill Christians and used him to reach these people for Christ. And if he can use Paul, he can use me and you. So just stand on your feet with me. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And God, now before we exit this room, before we leave this space and we offer up some worship one more time, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. God, for the people maybe that are sitting in this room and are watching online and the reason why they haven't come into this room is because they're just afraid they won't belong. God, thank you for the reminder of, God, when you build your church, you build it so awful with pieces that nobody would think to pick. And that, God, you died for us all and you call us all and you desire that everyone come to know you. If your head's bowed and eyes closed, maybe that's what you need to do what you've heard today. You need to just meet Jesus. You need to let Jesus transform your life. You need to stop just trying to fix your bad behavior and let God change your broken heart. Or maybe you just need to finally just be comfortable in God's house among his people, knowing that you belong here. And that Jesus died for you as much as he died for the person in front of you, behind you, and beside you. Or maybe there's something else on your heart that you just need to let God fix, mend, heal. We're going to worship for just a minute before we head out. You spend some time with God processing his word today. God, meet with us now in Jesus' name.